The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 267 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is a psychiatrist and a family caregiver review resilience. And we're discussing resilience as it relates to mental illnesses. Mental illnesses are serious medical conditions that disrupt a person's thinking, feeling, mood, ability to relate to others, and daily functioning. Mental illnesses can affect persons of any age, race, religion, or income. Mental illnesses create physical, psychological, and financial challenges for families and family caregivers caring for and supporting their family members. Mental illnesses are treatable. Most people diagnosed with a serious mental illness can experience relief from their symptoms by actively participating in individualized treatment. Mental illnesses are not, repeat not, the result of personal weakness, lack of character, or poor upbringing. But some experts do say that mental illnesses cannot be overcome through willpower. Yet others point to the importance of resilience in persons with mental illnesses and in their families and their family caregivers, which is why our topic today, a psychiatrist and a family caregiver review resilience, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Dr. Sarah Vinson and Anika Francis. Sarah is a psychiatrist specializing in child and adolescent psychiatry and adult and forensic psychiatry. She's based in Atlanta. An assistant professor of psychiatry at Morehouse School of Medicine and adjunct faculty of child and adolescent and forensic psychiatry at Emory University. She's the founder and editor of the culturally tailored psychoeducational website Black Mental Health Net, or one word, blackmentalhealthnet.com. She currently serves as the trustee at Large and Advocacy Liaison for the Georgia Council on Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. She's presented at national conferences of the American Psychiatric Association, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and the Black Psychiatrist of America Transcultural Conference. She's received numerous awards in recognition of her service and leadership. Anika is an author, an instructional designer, yoga therapist, and owner of the Atlanta-based company Edspire LLC. Anika was exposed to schizophrenia as a child when her mother developed it. 
and Anika experienced schizophrenia's ravaging effects as she tried to support her mother and cope with the emotional roller coaster created by her mother's illness. She, Anika, excelled academically and attended an Ivy League college where she discovered her interest in writing and traveling, which led to her career developing training programs. Yoga played an important role in her transformation and healing, and she's, a pa- she's, passionate. she's passionate about teaching people how to use yoga for mental wellness and healing. So welcome to the show, Sarah and Anika. Thank you. Now, please can I start with Anika? Please would you tell us more about your life and experience as a family caregiver? Anika? Well, I learned what it means to be a caregiver at a very young age. As you mentioned, my mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was only four years old. And when she was first diagnosed, I was so young, so I really didn't understand her illness. But what I did know was that I had to help take care of my mom. We lived with my grandparents when she was first diagnosed. And those first 12 years of her illness were pretty rough. Um, She was on and off of her medicine in and out of the hospital, which also meant she was in and out of my life. So I learned a lot about that long, tough road between relapse and recovery. Um, And I also learned a lot about what it means to care for someone. And there's a lot of interesting facets that come with being a child caregiver, as I learned, because there was a lot of role reversal where, in some instances, I had to play the role of the mom when my mom was sick. And she wasn't always sick. Um, She had long-term recoveries. Her first one was when I was in high school, and that lasted for seven years. And the last time that she was sick was my senior year in college. And each time that she had the relapse, it was always pretty traumatic just for everyone involved because my mother and I have a very close relationship. So I've learned a lot just about mental illness firsthand. I'm fortunate because my mom has been in recovery now for the past 16 years. And we've recently written a book called Love's All That Makes Sense, where we've talked a lot about our experience with mental illness and also our long road to recovery and resilience as well. Right. And I also quickly mentioned that you both, you and your mom, have been guests on my show talking about your lives and the recovery and your mom's activism um, yes. for the people who are in the same situations as you both were. Now, Sarah, please tell us more about your life and experience as a psychiatrist. So I am a uh, medical doctor who specializes in mental illness. And the way I explain it to families when I work with them is I help people who are having trouble with thoughts, feelings, or behavior. Um, But my journey to becoming a psychiatrist is interesting in that When I started medical school, I never dreamed that that would be the specialty that I would choose at the end of four years. Um, And as a matter of fact, I think in large part because of the stigma that comes with mental illness and that extends even to the people who provide mental health services for people with mental illness, um, I told a friend that I could never understand why someone would use their medical degree to be a psychiatrist prior to starting medical school. Um, What changed my mind is going through medical school rotating through the various disciplines and learning about mental illness and learning about mental health care and seeing how pervasive it was uh, in the larger community 
gaining an understanding of how it had affected people in my family, even though I had never conceptualized their behavior or their problems as a mental illness, and appreciating the ripple effect that mental illness has on people. Um, and because of the fact that the illness has, appreciating the effect that proper treatment and recovery could have, uh, the huge impact it could have in every person in that uh, person's sphere of influence, every family member, every friend, when a mental illness is appropriately addressed and treated, um, and just the difference it makes for everyone in that person's life. And that's what drew me into mental health care. Right. Now, Anika, what is resilience in family caregivers? Based on your experience, what is it? Well, I can tell you the formal definition of resilience. Resilience refers to a person's ability to find positive meaning in adversity. But now my definition, it takes me back to my childhood. And I used to love watching the Rocky movies because I would love when Rocky would go up against these really formidable opponents and it always seemed like there was no way that he could come back. But he always would. and He would just dig deep and he would find some way to get up and he would always find this resilient spirit. And that resonated for me so much when I was younger because of a lot of the experiences that I had with my mother. And I'm sure a lot of other family caregivers can relate to that because oftentimes when we're taking care of a loved one with a severe mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar, severe PTSD, we go through the trenches too. And we can come out with our fair share of battle scars and resilience. To me, when it comes to caregivers, is all about that ability to bounce back, to be able to find some positive meaning even in the midst of those challenges, and also to be able to hang on to hope even when at times things may feel very hopeless. Now, I'm going to ask um, Sarah the question of what resilience is in persons with serious mental illnesses. Um, Asking you, Sarah, to view it from the perspective of a psychiatrist, what is resilience then? Resilience is essentially uh, that a diagnosis is not the end of the story, that there is still more that that person has to contribute and to give to the people around them and to society at large, and that they can still build and find meaning in their life, uh, even though they have been diagnosed with this mental illness. Uh, so in a nutshell, that the mental illness is not the be-all, end-all, and it's not the defining part of who that person is, uh, but that they still are able to forge a life that has meaning and value to them. Um, and for some people, those goals that they may have had for themselves or what becomes an accomplishment may shift when mental illness comes into the picture because you may have to... Um, kind of reassess goals and uh, look at things a bit differently, but that somebody is able to still have things that they're working forward um, and things that they are, you know, striving to accomplish, even in the midst of a mental illness. And I think, you know, that's the core of resilience uh, for someone who has mental illness because of those are things that are core to who people are as human beings in general. Um, you know, the same things that make things meaningful for other people, relationships, uh, productivity, accomplishment, a sense of self-efficacy, those things don't cease to be meaningful for people with mental illness. And so it's finding ways to help people with mental illness uh, accomplish those things and strive toward those things in spite of the fact that they also have this diagnosis. 
So just to both of you, I just summarize back by saying resilience actually is part of hope and hope is part of resilience to staying with your goals, achieving the things you want to achieve and living your life in the way that you would want to live it. Um, that's a bit, perhaps a bit simplistic, but broadly, just quickly, both of you, am I right in what I've just said? I definitely think you are. When I think about hope, it's the ability to see beyond what is and to imagine something greater. And a lot of times when you have a severe mental illness, especially when you're first diagnosed, it can seem to just assume all of the air in the room and it can take all the focus. And it can be really hard to imagine if there can be life, you know, beyond that. And that's where that hope comes in. And it's very important to have that hope because it gives you something to get up for, to fight for, to to kind of come back from. Yeah, yeah. Now, we have to take a break, which is something we will be coming back from. This is Dr. Gordon Everly. My guests are Dr. Sarah Vinson and Anika Francis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Sarah Vinson and Anika Francis. Our topic is a psychiatrist and a family caregiver review resilience. Now, both of you, let's talk about the challenges experienced by family caregivers and family members living with mental illnesses for which resilience is important or even essential. So, Anika, starting with you, 
From the perspective of family caregivers, what are the challenges that families and those with severe mental illnesses face when they're first dealing with the diagnosis? Lika? Well, I think one of the first things is a lack of understanding. You know, we can understand things like cancer or different things that affect the body, I think, sometimes more easily than illnesses that can impact the mind. And because of that lack of understanding about what's happening or what a loved one may be experiencing, there can be fear that comes with that. Um, and along with that, a sense of isolation at times. I think that in society is a lot more compassionate when it comes to things like cancer or if someone's got liver disease. Um, but when someone has a disease of the mind, I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of stigma that's attached to that. And that can be very isolating for family caregivers who are playing a very active role in caring for a loved one with a severe mental illness. And because of that, families may not reach out to support systems to really know all the supports that can be available or that recovery even is possible. And that can be really challenging at first for families when they're first dealing with the diagnosis. Um, I think another big one is a sense of loss. A lot of times when someone has a, a mental illness, some things in their life have to switch. They may not be able to achieve all of the goals in the exact way or timing that they initially thought, which is not to say that they may not be able to come back to that, but there can be a loss. You know, relapse is often a part of um, that recovery process at first, and there will be disappointments. There will be hurt. Um, there will be that sense of loss. And those are all things that can be very challenging for family caregivers. Sarah, I'm going to ask you basically the same question, but ask, I want you to please answer it from the perspective of a psychiatrist. What are the challenges that families and those with severe mental illnesses face when they are first dealing with the diagnosis that the psychiatrist has given them? Sarah? I certainly echo everything Anika said. Um, I find that often there is denial with mental illness that's not there in the same way as it is with kind of physical, uh, medical illnesses. Uh, and I think part of that is a lack of understanding, as Anika spoke of. And also part of it is just the stigma and shame uh, that is attached to mental illness in a unique way compared to other things. Um, because of that lack of understanding and because of that shame, it can be very isolating for families. And just like we talk about people with the illness needing support, the family needs support too. Um, and the family also may fear that the person's mental illness will be seen as a negative reflection on them uh, because that's another way that mental illness is treated differently uh, in that families are often looked at as a cause or someone's blame for someone having a severe mental illness. And so they have to, you know, risk that stigma as well if they talk about it or accept that someone in their family has a serious mental illness. And then there's also that fear that Anisica spoke of and how I see that manifest with some people I work with um, is they don't want to think that they are vulnerable themselves uh, to mental illness because there's a certain... Um, way that it affects how one interacts with the world, how it can affect uh, one's personality. Um, and so it's threatening in a way that other illnesses just aren't um, and can kind of get to the core of who a person is. And so there's something about it that people find very threatening. Um, and the fact that, you know, we don't have blood tests 
an imaging test the way we do with some other uh, illnesses when it comes to, you know, things like diabetes or things like that uh, also makes it harder for people to understand and harder for people to accept. You know, I've certainly had people who don't want to accept that their child has this diagnosis or their brother has this diagnosis or their parent has this diagnosis because I can't show them a blood test, but we just don't have that for mental illness. Um, and so it really comes down to a lot of education and a lot of work that we have to do in overcoming that initial stigma and denial that um, is a big hump that we normally face in treatment and around that time of diagnosis. Now, back to you, Anika. From the perspective of family caregivers, why is re- resilience challenging for families and those with severe mental illnesses? What, what makes the challenges to resilience? Anika? Well, I think that the challenges are probably very similar for the family caregivers as well as the person dealing with the mental illness. And, and as I kind of spoke about and Sarah has mentioned too, there can be a lot of disappointment. There can be a lot of relapse um, that can happen. And that can be very emotionally unsettling. And I find at times, especially my experience in my own life, I got so used to putting a lot of my emotional needs on the back burner, just to tend to my mother. But I never went back and dealt with just some of the emotional hurt um, that happened to me just when she was going through um, her relapses. And what happens is when you begin to just carry all of that stuff, it makes it really hard to bounce back. And that's an important part of resilience, that ability to get back up in the midst of things that happen when we don't learn how to forgive or how to even let go of some of those things that can really begin to weigh everyone down. Um, I think another thing that's tough especially for your family caregivers when it comes to resilience is that you can get so identified with that role that it's hard to step out of it. And I understand that a lot because it's almost like you're always in this crisis mode. And so you feel like you've always got to be strong, always have to be there. And you may not allow yourself to be supported in the ways that you need to be. And burnout uh, can definitely happen there. And that definitely can get get in the way of that resilience over time. Um, And I think maybe my final thing is I think forgetting the person behind the illness. When someone has something like schizophrenia or bipolar that can be so jarring that you can forget that loved one that you have all those wonderful memories with or those different things, to forget that there's still that person underneath that and really remembering and trying to still connect to that. And I think that can be challenging for everyone involved. Now, I'm going to ask Sarah again, always from the perspective of a psychiatrist uh, who's in contact with the challenges that, or the people who are having the challenges anyway. Please say why you see um, resilience as being challenging for families and for the people with severe mental illnesses that they're caring for. Sarah? Yes, so I certainly... um have seen the things that Anika spoke of in the patients and families that I've worked with. Uh, Caregiver fatigue is a really significant issue. Um, There are a lot of people who, after repeated hospitalizations and repeated relapses, start to um, just get tired of it and feel as if they can't deal with it anymore. And then they start to blame the person for their illness. And as Anika spoke to, 
the illness kind of takes over their view of that person. Um, and I see a lot of people whose families have completely disengaged um, from them and from their treatment uh, just because it is so overwhelming. Uh, and so something I try to do as a provider is find ways to get that family support, you know, referring them to organizations like the National Alliance for Mental Illness um, so that they can get the support they need in order to continue to be an active part of their loved one's lives. Uh, but it's difficult. It is incredibly difficult, and it is a long-term process. It's not something where there's going to be some six-month course of treatment and things are going to go back to normal. When you're talking about severe mental illness like bipolar and schizophrenia, you're talking about something that somebody's going to need treatment for for the rest of their lives. Um, it is a chronic condition. And so over time, uh, those hurts and things that Anika spoke of can start to build. Resentment can start to build. Um, and, you know, people also have other things going on in their lives. Um, and sometimes it can just be too much. And it's really hard for people when they uh, are affected by that stigma and that shame and aren't able to talk to people freely about what they're experiencing and what they're going through. Um, and so all of those things make it challenging for families uh, of those with severe mental illnesses. I want to pick up on the word stigma, which you both used, and ask you, Anika, first, just quickly, how far, how much... Um, of the strain, the challenges, the emotional hurt arises from stigma uh, against mental illness and against the families with people with mental illnesses. Anika? Well, to be honest, I think sometimes it's more the fear of stigma um, that people may have than, than sometimes you actually feel, to be honest. Um, I think, especially for my experience, it was our fear of stigma a lot more so than it actually manifests, but that fear was very real, um, and it had some profound repercussions for both myself as, as well as my mom, who had the disability. So, Sarah, what's your, been your experience of talking to people about stigma? How, how, how important has it been for them, and what effect has it had on them and their resilience in particular? Sarah? Yeah, so I um, see stigma as something that happens on a societal level, an interpersonal level, and then there's also that internalized stigma, which I think goes hand-in-hand with what Anika talked about with that fear of stigma, where people who have the illness have their own preconceptions about what somebody with schizophrenia looks like and how they behave, and that can make them uh, less likely to engage in treatment and get services because they don't want to be that sick person. They don't want to be that, quote-unquote, crazy person. Um, So that internalized stigma really is huge. Um, And so what I strive to do as a provider is talk about it in terms like I talk about any other illness, talk about the brain like I talk about, would talk about any other organ, um, and try to help people understand that it is a sickness, that it is an illness, and that it needs treatment just like anything else. And it doesn't make you any less of a person um, just like high blood pressure or diabetes wouldn't. Um, and so there is a lot of work that we do with Sigma and. I generally don't do it in a way where I label it as such. I don't necessarily um, say this is going to be our talk about stigma so that it doesn't disrupt our treatment, but I may tell them about people I know with schizophrenia like Anika's mom who are, uh, you know, 
going around the country talking about mental illness, educating police officers, speaking to people in training, and helping them understand how to better serve people. Um, and I think really the biggest uh, antidote to stigma is people like Anika and her mother who have uh, dealt with mental illness and come out on the other end and are able to live meaningful lives and able to have uh, these wonderful relationships with each other. And so, you know, I really try to connect people and families with stories of, uh, you know, people who have had mental illnesses but but persevered and, and come out okay. Right. Now, on that strong point, we'll take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Sarah Vincent and Anika Francis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Sarah Vincent and Anika Francis. Our topic is a psychiatrist and a family caregiver review resilience. So now let's talk about the ways of strengthening resilience in family caregivers and family members living with mental illnesses. Um, You've already mentioned several things, but I'd like to go into the things that you think are important in a little more detail. So first of all, Anika, based on your experience, what can family caregivers do to develop resilience? Well, one important thing is to find support systems 
Sarah already mentioned the National Alliance on Mental Illness or NAMI. Um, they're one organization, for example, that has um, a family-to-family group, which has a lot of educational services that they provide. Um, for family caregivers, it's important to learn more about your loved one's mental illness so that you do know different um, recovery management techniques and different ways that you can support them. And not only to get support systems just to learn about um, the mental illness, but also to allow themselves to be supported. You know, that caregiver fatigue that Sarah talked about and that I certainly experienced, um, one can learn to avoid that by taking time out on a regular basis to do things that rejuvenate you. Maybe that's taking a walk. For me, maybe it was doing yoga, but everybody has that thing that kind of helps them to restore. But a lot of times we get so caught up in trying to provide care that we forget to even just make take those little bits of time. You know, I'm sure that caregivers can find 30 minutes a week or an hour a week to do something just for themselves. And that can go a long way to just rejuvenate one so that they don't come to that burnout. And that's very important for resilience. And the other piece I would really recommend is doing things that inspire hope. Severe mental illness is challenging. Um, I'm not going to even tell that lie that it's not. I know when I was in the midst of things when my mom was going through some of her dark days, as we like to call them, you know, it seemed like there was no end in sight. And it was really important to do those things that can help you to see beyond that or something that can just inspire you to find some of the positive meaning just in that and in life because that can be hard to hold on to. And when you lose hope, it's really hard to be resilient. And what inspires hope in me may be very different from you, Gordon, and from you, Sarah, but there's something that inspires hope in all of us. Maybe it's listening to a sermon or listening to inspirational music, but there's something that we can do. Um, and to me, that's the work of resilience. Sarah, what does research have to tell us about resilience and how best to cultivate it for persons with serious mental illness? Sarah? Well, we know that support is important. Uh, Hopefully that can come from family, but even if it can't come from family, if they are able to find some sort of supportive group, we know that that helps people. We also know that interventions that don't just focus on the illness, but that focus on helping that person lead a meaningful life are helpful. So, for instance, um, I work at Grady Hospital, which is an inner city hospital in Atlanta, and I'm part of an ACT team, and that team deals with only people with severe mental illness. But there's not just me as a psychiatrist giving them meds. There's an educational person. There's a vocational rehab specialist. There are substance abuse counselors. There's a housing person because we realize that every aspect of a person's life impacts how they feel and how they do, um, and that for people with severe mental illness, being stressed or being barely housed or not having enough to um, eat are all things that are basic necessities that people need, and people with severe mental illness have those necessities too. And so really stabilizing a person's life is part of it. Stabilizing the mental illness is part of it, but we know that it's not just the absence of illness. It's not just the absence of symptoms, but it's also, you know, adding in things that give meaning, and that could be volunteer service. It could be working part-time. It could be advocacy work, but supporting those things um, as best as we can. And I think for caregivers um, and for those with mental illness, a big thing is something I need to mention, which is doing what works for you. And what I find is that often 
and not just in working with families, but in my own life, that at the times when things are the most stressful, when you feel as if there are the most demands on your time, those are the times when we often let the things that we know work for us fall by the wayside because we feel too busy to do them. But those are the times when you absolutely cannot let them fall by the wayside and the times when they are the most important. So really striving for that balance um, and making it a priority to do the things that work for you, uh, regardless of what else is going on. Anika, question now. What can family caregivers do do to help a loved one with serious mental illness so that the loved one develops more resilience? What can the family caregivers do? Anika? Well, it's important to encourage your loved one to do the things that support your recovery, you know, which can often mean seeing a mental health provider, taking the medicine, um, joining support groups. You know, as as Sarah and I have both mentioned, um, recovery might look a little bit different for everybody, but there are certainly key things that one needs to take the responsibility of doing. I think another thing that's really important for family caregivers, and I did, I wish I had learned this at a younger age, but um, having boundaries. It was something that my grandfather played an important role um, in both my mother's life as well as mine, and he was there in the trenches when my mom was going through a lot of her relapses, and he was really good about giving my mother boundaries. And she often talks about how he encouraged her to get out and work, how he, you know, even though she was had that illness, you know, he said that you can still do something with your life, something that's meaningful. And he also had boundaries about what was and wasn't acceptable in his house. And if things were getting too far um, out of control that were no longer safe and healthy, um, then at times, sometimes needing to make sure that the loved one actually did go into the hospital. So I think creating those healthy boundaries, especially with someone who has severe mental illness, and especially if they're in crisis, can be very important, too, um, so that they can kind of know what um, what is healthy and what is not, because they may not, you know, during those times. Um, and I think also in terms of encouraging a loved one is also just to let them know that regardless of everything, that there is still love and acceptance, because I think that that can be so important as well. Sarah, what are the ways in which persons living with mental illnesses can be helped by psychiatrists to develop their resilience? Now, we've, we've already addressed several of these points, but I'd like you to say more, and I'd also like you to discuss the other types of support systems that could be important. Sarah? Sure. So, I think it starts off with something very basic, which is listening to patients and their families. Um, and forging relationships, particularly with families, because often they see uh, the relapse coming before we do, uh, because they have interaction with that person on a daily basis and know that person uh, intimately. The way I like to explain it to families is they're the expert on their family member, and I'm the expert on mental illness. And so I need their help, and they need mine, and together we can we can make this work. Um, and I think also listening to patients about side effects and their experiences on medication. Um, unfortunately, some of our medicines do have a lot of side effects, and those side effects vary by person. Um, and so really listening to someone who says, you know, this weight gain is bothering me and thinking about switching them to another medication if you can, um, because we know that if something's bothering somebody, they're less likely to take it and less likely to uh, benefit from that medication. Um, I think another thing is recognizing people's strengths. 
Uh, medicine, in a lot of ways, trains us to look for the illness and to look for the deficit. Uh, but I think that with mental illness, when there is so much stigma, particularly when there is that internalized stigma, um, it can mean a lot for uh, people to know and to understand that their psychiatrist sees them as more than their illness and recognizes the positive stride that they're making. Um, and often there's some element of depression that comes with knowing that you have severe mental illness, particularly early on. Um, and so just validating that and validating that person's loss um, and being able to see in them the things they're doing right when it's hard for them to see it themselves. Uh, because through that valence of depression or disappointment or feeling as if you're failing um, or disappointing your family members, sometimes it's hard for them to see the things that they're doing right. So making it a point to, to point those things out for people. Um, Can I just ask you a very quick and awkward question, and that's this, that on some of the episodes in which we've talked about things like this, um, sometimes family caregivers have said that they do see their family member perhaps beginning to slide over into um, a development of the mental illness of some kind, but sometimes that they find that the healthcare system isn't very open to talking with the um, family caregiver about this. Is this something that you've you've come across? Is is it a problem in your work? It is a problem in part because of uh, laws regarding patient privacy. Um, in that we are unable to contact family members without the person's permission. So as you can imagine, if somebody is paranoid and delusional about their family members, they may not give us consent to speak with them. Um, and so it really ties our hands. Now, sometimes, depending on the state, depending on the situation, if it's an emergency or not, we can listen to what family members have to say, but we still may not be able to tell them anything. Um, and I can tell you that as a provider, those are very tough positions to be in, but because of the way the laws are written and out of um, attempts to protect the patient's autonomy, um, we are, our hands are tied often in terms of what we're able to say or the information we're able to give out. I mean, what I like to do, particularly um, in patients where I know that they have an involved family, is to get the patient to sign releases so that I have on record that I am able to speak with that person freely, and that can be very helpful. So what I would encourage family members to do is if you know that someone in your family is seeing a psychiatrist or seeing a mental health provider, that you make it a point to go with them to their appointment, uh, especially that first appointment, and try to see if you can, um, if that person's okay with you doing it, if the patient's okay with you doing it, get them to sign a release so that you can share information with that person and they can share information with you. And that way the laws and the privacy, you know, considerations don't get in the way of that happening. Um, but I know that as a provider, you know, the information from families is so important and can really inform what you do. Um, so there are barriers and there are obstacles, but there are ways of getting around it. Um, if you are involved and you get those, you know, releases of information, and you're part of that person's care. That's good advice. 
Now, we're going to take the break again. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Sarah Vinson and Anika Francis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Everyone is eligible for RX Savings Plus. There's no age or income restrictions and no paperwork. Simply print a card and start saving on your prescriptions. Start saving today. Enroll and print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96 Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Sarah Vincent and Anika Francis. Our topic is a psychiatrist and a family caregiver review resilience. So now let's talk about the things that you both would like to see done to, and to do yourselves to do the things that need to be done for developing resilience in family caregivers and their family members living with mental illnesses. So first of all, Anika, what would you more would you like to see done by social systems? Well, we know that resilience in large part rests on relationships. And a relationship that often gets ignored in a lot of the discourse on severe mental illness is the relationship between a parent and a child. Um, I know that mothers with schizophrenia, about 50% of them they lose custody of their child, either temporarily or permanently, once they're diagnosed. And I can certainly understand this when a parent is in crisis, but once a parent is stable, there are very few resources that help that parent with 
parenting skills so that they can be involved in their child's life in a meaningful and productive way. And that's one thing I would really like to see um, more of is really looking at that parenting role that people with disagreements on this may have. And I'd also like to see more resources specifically for children, um, child caregivers, to really explain severe mental illnesses in ways that are developmentally appropriate for the children so that they can have a better understanding and also more coping mechanisms. Because I think when I kind of look at the different programs that are out there, that those are two areas that are really lacking right now. Right. Sarah, what more would you like to see done by the healthcare systems? I would love to see the healthcare systems do more things to promote health rather than just address illness. Uh, so doing more in terms of uh, programs that help people get volunteer services, adequate uh, housing, uh, their benefits, those sorts of things. Um, the traditional kind of healthcare funding system does not allow for that. And so most of the places where that's happening, there's some type of grant system involved, the healthcare system as a whole doesn't do that. It's all about what's the illness and what can we do for the illness. It's not about promoting health, and that's not just for mental illness, that's for health care in general. Um, so I would like to see more of that. I do also think that, especially with mental illness, there has to be a recognition, though, that the healthcare system simply uh, cannot be the be-all, end-all, and it ends up being a repository for a lot of the failings of other systems. Uh, we know that with severe mental illness, there is often this thing called the downward drift, where because of the illness, uh, the person is more likely to become dependent on other uh, social safety net systems. And when those other social safety net systems are inadequate, such as housing, food stamps, those sorts of things, um, it affects the person with mental illness tremendously. Um, and so I think that there has to be a recognition uh, on the part of the healthcare system that these things are important to their patients and more advocacy around those issues as well. Right. Now, Anika, what more would you like to do? Anika? Well, I would like to raise, continue raising awareness. Um, my mother and I have definitely been doing that a lot this year as we've been out doing different conferences and workshops um, and promoting our book. And I think that that awareness piece is important, not only about severe illness, but that recovery is possible. And I think it's really important to hear that from someone who has a severe mental illness and also from a family caregiver so that you can get those multiple perspectives. Um, yeah, that's what I'd like yep. to do. Okay. Sarah, what more would you like to do? Well, I'd like to keep growing and learning um, from my patients and their families and be the best psychiatrist I can be for the people that I serve. Um, and I would also like to be part of a shift in the dialogue around mental illness, um, both in promoting it and in, um, you know, educating about some of the treatments and the myths and the misconceptions that are out there around mental illness and not waiting until there's a crisis or there's a shooting or someone's family member is ill to do it, but really, you know, reaching out as someone who is a mental health professional um, and trying to engage people who aren't in the field. Um, and really having discussions about mental illness and education about mental health care um, so that hopefully through collaborations with people like Anika and her mom, uh, we can all work together to make things uh, better for people who are dealing with mental illness and their families. Now, I just want to ask you both um, this. You've used the word value in the sense of people 
with mental illnesses and therefore their family caregivers get involved in work or activities for which there is recognized value. Sometimes it might be money. Sometimes it must, might just be the sense that they're doing something for somebody else that they prize and value. Anika, first of all, how important is that in the reasoning about the support for families and family caregivers uh, for family members with mental illnesses. Anika? Well, I think that's actually a, it's an, it's such an important key to resilience because doing work or doing something of service or value in the community or to others can give a person a sense of meaning and purpose. And when your life can be defined so much by severe mental illness, it's important to have other things of value so that you know that you can contribute, that you're more than the illness. And that's a, an absolutely important key to resilience, and it's something that I really encourage family caregivers to support their loved one to do. But there's something. You know, maybe someone can't have a full-time job, but there's something that they can do, whether maybe it's volunteering or doing some different things with a loved one, picking up stuff around the house, I mean, whatever. But there's something that someone can do of value. Sarah, same question for you, but put in this way. Do you think that the healthcare system is sufficiently uh, alert to this question of value, the importance of people, regardless of the mental illness they have, feeling some sense of value arising out of what they do? How, how seriously is that taken in the healthcare systems? Sarah? I think that on an individual level, people who work in this field recognize that. But the healthcare system as a whole, in terms of how it finances itself and how it reimburses for services, that is not something that is recognized on that systematic level. And so it can make it very hard to do that on a consistent basis and say financially viable uh, because you don't necessarily get reimbursed for uh, calling a volunteer agency and spending 30 minutes on the phone with them trying to get your patient a slot with them. Um, you know, they want to see things about symptoms and what medication you gave them and those sorts of things. Um, so the system as a whole doesn't value it, but I think that most people who work in this field, um, part of why they're attracted to it is because they see that it's, it's more complicated and that there are all these moving parts to it. Um, but we still have a lot of work to do on a system level for that, and that's part of why I'm so keen on referring people to advocacy groups and that sort of thing. I realize there's a lot that people need that the healthcare system just is not set up to do. And that, in some ways, it's good to refer them out too because it speaks to Anika's point of identity and how one sees themselves. And seeing yourself as a sick person all the time isn't good for anybody. Um, and so the fact that they can get some of those things elsewhere, well, ideally they would be able to get it all at one place, um, may actually prove their benefit at times, but uh, kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's how I see it. Yeah, very good. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time on this episode, but I want to say to both of you, um, thank you. Um, and thank you on behalf of the people who are living the lives that you've been talking about. And on behalf of everybody, what I'd like to say to you in very straight terms, please keep up with your good work because this is what's needed um, it, this is to say that the system needs help from people like you to bring in the things which um, 
just giving people pills or putting them away in institutions can never do. And it's the work of you, both of you, and people like you that bring about these changes. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Summer Snow and Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.